I'm going to read the story from the Bible of what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and we want to make sure that we read the passage. Pastor Ron later is going to be giving us a message on the implications of what we're going to read right now. So you could follow along. I'm reading Matthew 27. I'm going to start in verse 57 and read down through most of chapter 28. This is right after Jesus has been crucified. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. (laughs) So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Pastor Ron asked me to share just a few thoughts on Jesus' resurrection. And that's one of the accounts in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you would like to, I just want to turn to Romans chapter 6 and share what Paul says regarding Jesus' resurrection and what that has to do with you and me more than one Sunday a year. Romans chapter 6, just a few books further. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans 6, starting in verse 5. Paul says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. 
death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, is a good word for all of us in considering Easter Sunday is fun. There's lots of singing. Uh, everyone's dressed up and we have good food together. But so what? <laughs> what about tomorrow and Tuesday and the summer and the fall until we get around to Christmas time and we get happy again? What about in between that time? Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 9 said that death no longer has dominion over Jesus. He conquered death. Now skip down to verse 14. Jesus conquered death. Now watch this. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Jesus' defeat of sin, his defeat of death, is our defeat of sin and our defeat of death. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've put your faith and your trust in him and believed that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, then you also will rise from the dead. Um, Your loved ones who have gone before, who believed in Jesus, they too will rise from the dead. And just as Jesus broke out from death into new life, so also will we. So in the in-between time, how do we live? In the in-between time, we must live as if Jesus' resurrection is true, and it is, and in belief that our resurrection will one day happen as well. So we live to testify to that. We live to say that, yes, that is true. Yes, that is what is happening, and I want to be a part of it now. In the last book of the Bible, the Revelation to John The Apostle John, who spent three and a half years with Jesus, he's the disciple that Jesus loved. He cast out demons with Jesus. He learned how to preach from Jesus. He saw Jesus turn a boy's lunch into a meal for 5,000. He went on a long road trip with Jesus. He spent time with him. He saw him when he was raised. But watch what happens when Jesus shows up in the book of Revelation several decades later. Verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And John sees his friend, his Lord Jesus, he doesn't say hello, he doesn't give the secret handshake. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, which he had every right to be. But watch the grace and mercy of Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Death is coming for every one of us. Do you know the one who holds the keys?
Oh, he is alive, isn't he? He's our living hope. This is a great day, uh, one of my favorite days of the year as we celebrate the life and that we serve a living God. If Jesus hadn't been raised, we have a dead hope. If Jesus hadn't been raised, there's really no reason for us to be here today. But he is alive and he is reigning on the throne and he is reigning in our hearts and our lives right now. Today, you know, sometimes when I think about Easter, I think about, well, why is Easter such a popular holiday? I know why it is for me, because my Lord and Savior conquered death and He conquered the grave and He's alive. But there's something about life after death that fascinates us, right? In our culture, even, there's something about it. Have you guys heard of heaven tourism books? Sort of a, a phrase that we use of these books where someone dies and they get to spend usually, you know, 10 minutes, 29 minutes, 60 minutes, somewhere else. And then they come back and tell you about it and make millions of dollars. It's really cool. And, and, but people buy these books because we are fascinated with life after death and what might happen in there. And there, there's been a number of books recently about that. And just for the, for the sake of knowing where I'm coming from, I don't believe any of those are true. And so don't even go there. But one guy, one guy sort of got the raw end of the deal. He, he died and he ended up going to hell for like 29 minutes and then coming back and writing. I'm like, yeah, he sort of got the raw end of the deal. <laughs> but, but what I want you to think about today and the reason why Easter is so captivating to us is because someone actually did die. Jesus actually did die. And not 29 minutes later or 60 minutes later, but three days later, he came alive again and he rose from the dead. And this morning, what I'm offering you is sort of a heaven tourism deal. What what I want to assert today and look at scripture today is that you and I also die. And you and I also have died with Christ and we also are raised again. And so we all get to experience this deal of dying And then living, dying and coming alive. And so today we're going to look at that. That might be a weird way to start an Easter sermon today, but we're looking at the implications of the cross and really what is one of the grandest themes in Scripture some authors describe. What does it mean to be with Christ? What does it mean that He died on the cross and He rose again? And we're going to keep going between those today. And that we were with Him on the cross. And that we were with Him in the grave and buried with Him. And that we were raised with Him. See, as believers, village, as believers, we have an incredible living hope now because we are raised with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. And and that changes everything. Turn with me to Colossians 2. And we're going to look at a couple passages out of Colossians. But we'll start with Colossians 2 and we'll look at 12 through 14. And really try to unpack this. Because this isn't something I'm making up, but this is something that's repeated in Scripture over and over. In the Romans 6 passage that Pastor Andrew shared earlier, we see the same concept. And so what does it mean to be with Christ? Point number one, really we're only going to go to two points today, two places. And I'll give them to you ahead of time so you can fill in your blanks and relax a little bit. Number one, Easter means we were with Jesus in everything. Easter means we were with Jesus in everything. And I would underline with, put a box around it, highlight however you do your notes. We were with Jesus in everything. And number two, so that means we can live raised and made alive lives now. That means we can live 
raised and made alive now. And I know the grammar you're there, that's sort of a weird way of, of putting it, but you'll get it when we see it. And those are really the, the two points that we're going to look at today. First, Easter means we were with Jesus in everything. And we, we, we start with Colossians 2, 12 through 14. Again, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those black ones. And, and if you don't have one at home, take that with you as our gift to you. We're at Colossians 2, 12 through 14. Easter means we were with Jesus in everything. Jesus died and he, and we died with him. He was buried and we were buried with him. He was raised and we were raised and made alive with him. So let's look at Colossians 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. And right from the start of these verses, you see that we are with Christ. He starts by saying you've been buried with him in baptism. The thing about being buried is that implies death, right? We, we bury dead people. I remember when, when, when I was little, I had a hamster that I just loved and adored and I played with all the time. And, and this hamster, I had one of those clear balls that they run around in. You let run around the house, right? And, and he, he's running around the house and I'm playing with him. So I pick up the ball and I'm running out into the garage and I hit a wet spot on the concrete of the garage. And this ball just goes bouncing across the concrete floor on the garage with the hamster inside. Sorry for all some of you animal lovers are like, I can't believe you're going there today. And I went over to that ball and I was just horrified that I had done this. And I went over to the ball and the hamster is dead. Just lifeless there. And, and I just was, I was distraught, didn't know what to do. And so tried to revive it a little bit, a little bit of hamster CPR. And um, I actually did try that. <laughs> you never know. And, and I couldn't find any signs of life. And so what do you do when something's dead? You bury it, right? And so I get a shoebox out and some material and mom's being appropriately sympathetic. And, and I, I, I lay this hamster out in the shoebox and I'm about to put the lid on. This is about an hour later. I'm about to put the lid on to go bury this puppy, uh, hamster. <laughs> and all of a sudden it springs up. And it's alive. And, and now this does not mean I can raise the dead. So don't be asking a little later. But my, my point in that is when we bury something, I really thought it was dead, right? I wouldn't be burying it if it was alive. That's a whole different problem with, with pets. Just, just understand that. But when it says we've been buried with him in baptism, Paul here is referring to his death and burial together. He's, you bury him because he's dead, and he's saying, you died with Christ, you were buried with him. In fact, in the Romans 6 passage, Romans 6, 8, he, a parallel passage, he says, now if we have died with Christ, we, will believe, we believe that we will also live with him. And so when we think of, of Easter, when we think of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the first thing to think of is we died with Christ, and we were buried with Christ. And Paul goes there, having been buried with him in baptism, in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. And so what that represents for us as believers is that 
my old man, my sinful nature, that the whole wealth of sin that I've been so good at in my natural man, all of that, if I believe in Jesus Christ, was killed off in the, in the crucifixion. It died with Christ on the cross. Because I am with Christ. Now, this whole concept of how do we describe with Christ, that's a difficult concept to describe, right? Because none of us were physically present on the cross. None of us were there being crucified with Him, but the Bible repeatedly says we died with Him. And so the, the, the best way to describe this, one author said, it's almost like we live vicariously through Christ, or we, we vicariously were on the cross through Him, because He is our substitute, Right? And we believe He took our place and took our sin on Himself. And so we were with Him as our representative, as our substitute, and we identify with Him. And so everything that happened to Him, it's like it was happening to us. And so yes, if you're a believer, you've been crucified. You have been dead. You have been buried. Your old man, the sin nature, and that is good news today. That is good news because if it's dead and buried, it is defeated, it is gone. And just as Jesus conquered death and sin in general, He conquered it in the lives of the believer. And, and, and that's where it's okay to say amen. Because that means we are changed, we are different. Letter A there is, for those that believe in Christ, our old self dies with Christ and is buried with Him. It is finished. We are dead and buried with Christ. It's as if it happened to us. It's as if we were there with Him. Even though we weren't physically present, we were there as He represents us and as our substitute. One author said, God reckons what is true of Christ is true of us. And so if it's true that Christ died and took sin and defeated sin and conquered sin and paid for sin, then that is true of us. That means I don't have to worry about if all my sin was paid for. If I'm a believer in Christ, my question is, was Christ enough to pay for all my sin? Because I was there with Him. And this is, this is just amazing. Amazing news. But the second thing that, that Paul goes to here is he, he writes to the church at Colossae. He says, we were raised with Christ and made alive. So as believers, we died with Christ, our old man, but then we were also raised with Christ, and I have the stone here to represent that, which means when Christ rose from the dead, it was like we were made alive, like we rose from the dead. Look at the verse, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him. And and this is such a vital verse with each phrase. We were raised with Him through faith through faith in the powerful working of God. And he goes on to say, who raised Him from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. And we get this whole with Him thing again. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so Paul here is paralleling the believer in Christ and we're raised with Him. But that phrase, through faith, Because we we can say, okay, that's great. He rose from the dead. I'm glad that applies there. He made us new. Amen. But the through faith is important. Because this only applies to those who come to Christ and repent of their sins and trust in Him. 
Today, I know in a group this size, we have a whole lot of people that have chosen to follow Christ. And this is true of you. You have been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Him. You are made alive, which is our theme for the morning. But I know there's people here that have never stopped to give their faith in Christ. And I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're exploring. Ask questions. Find out who is this Jesus we're singing about. What is this story that we're reading? Because Jesus is offering to make you alive too. And until we have faith, until we put our faith in Christ, we are still dead in our trespasses, in our sins. And those sins haven't been paid for yet because we haven't trusted Christ to do that. We haven't been made alive yet because we haven't trusted Christ. And so this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, listen, ask questions and want to be made alive and trust Christ today with your life. So it says we were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God. Jesus was raised by God. You and I are saved by God, by the work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how much you give. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It would be like if you were sitting in that chair right now and I said, I'd like you to lift that chair five feet off the ground while you're sitting on it. You'd be like, you're, 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 you're a little full of it this morning, Ron. You're, you're nuts. But you can't do it and we can't save ourselves. Even in America, where we're to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and do everything for ourselves. The work here is God's. The work here is what He does in our life. And so the points of these verses is we've died with Christ if we're believers. Our old self, our sin, the sin nature that controls us has been crucified. It is dead. It is rotting in the ground. But we're also raised and made alive through Christ. Some of the fun things about this passage is, is it goes on to say how this happens. How this happens. And, and in verse 13 it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, because we know that the wages of sin is death, what we deserve for the sin and junk in our lives is death. We're dead there. God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. And that all goes with sins there, with trespasses. That Jesus, if we come to Him, forgives every sin we have ever done and every sin we ever will do. Man, there is no better offer, offer on this planet. But then it's, it's, it's just fun. Verse 14. How does he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, Jesus forgave us. God forgave us. But he forgave us because our debt was canceled or it was paid for. And understand the imagery here of nailing it to the cross. I know sometimes we nail things to the cross and it's a great camp activity. But this means so much more here theologically. And and understanding the culture can help. One one of the things they did on the cross, and and we have the cross laying over on its side right now to show that it was defeated. But they would nail the charges against a criminal at the top of the cross, right? And so with Jesus, you remember they said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And, and so the charge was insurrection and, and the charge was blasphemy as well by the Jews. So it depended on the Roman perspective or the Jewish perspective. 
And whatever charge was nailed to the cross, to the top of the cross, that was the charge that that criminal was paying for. Okay? So Jesus, they said Jesus was dying because of insurrection, because he claimed this. And so when Paul says, all of your, I get this, this is great, all of your trespasses and sins were nailed to the cross, he's speaking of this nail above the head of Jesus. and, And he's saying that my sin and penalty was nailed to the cross. Which means legally, as Jesus hung there, he was paying the price for every item that was listed there. Every sin. And so this isn't just God saying, ah, I love you, we're good. God in his righteousness could not allow that. And sin has to be paid for. And Jesus on the cross took our sin and penalty on himself. Our old man was with him there. Our sin nature was with him there. And so verse 14 is just beautiful. By canceling the record of debt, an IOU is what that referred to, uh, saying you owe this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, not just willy-nilly, but by nailing it to the cross, by paying for it. We were with Christ in everything. We were with Christ on the cross. We were with Christ being buried. We were with Christ in the resurrection. J.B. Phillips said this, and I think it's a great summary. He has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which you always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. Village, if you come to Christ, you are clean. Your sin is paid for. There is no room for guilt. There is no room to say, I still have to pay somehow for my sin. It's done. It is finished. Praise God. I want to jump ahead to chapter 3 and say, okay, so, so we know this is true. We know that we were with Christ. So then how can we live like we're raised? How can we live like we're made alive? Because we are. What difference should that make in our lives? And this is where Paul goes in Colossians 3, just the very next chapter. Colossians 3. And we start with 1 through 4 there. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on, minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And so Paul begins this section about how we can live raised lives and how we can live made alive lives by saying we have to have a new mindset and we've been given a new mindset because we're raised with Christ. And in this section, he's going to really divide it into two parts again. The old and the new. The dead and the living. And he's going to say, put to death what belongs to your old, sin-stained, putrid nature. And put on the new life you have already been given. And he starts with this change of mindset. A change of worldview. And if, if you just think through these verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And and this is Jesus giving us different goals and ambitions. The seeking there is searching after, craving what we spend our time pursuing. 
And Jesus changes that. It changes from something that's earthly and the, the pursuits here that never give lasting satisfaction. And he says, if you're raised with Christ, man, your ambition is for Him then. Seek Him. Your goals and thoughts are chasing after Him. We're dead to this world. And so our desires for godliness, our desires for what God wants should be stronger than the dead and stinking old nature that's gone. But we struggle with that. And this is the the power of the resurrection is to help us in that struggle. See, the thing is, Paul here in, in both of these passages promises that we are made alive now. Not you will be made alive, you will be resurrected. And we know there's a sense where that is true and we're, we're awaiting that. But we are raised with Christ. It's past tense. We are made alive, past tense. It happens already and we're now benefiting from that. And this is such a beautiful thing that God gives us because I, I'm not sure just thinking of heaven is always enough to help us in this life. And be, before you run me off the, the platform... Let, let me let me explain. There are times that you are having just a, a brutal morning or a brutal day. Maybe it's hard to get up. Maybe it's one of those 25 cups of coffee days and, and you're on cup 10, shaking a little bit, and you're just trying to get through. And in those days where everything's collapsing down, yes, the promise of eternal life with Christ should be a motivating factor. But isn't it beautiful that God didn't just give us a hope of a future, but he said, I'm with you now. I'm making you alive now. I'm helping you today. And so this section, Paul is trying to say, okay, how does the resurrection help us today? There's going to be things we need to put off and there's going to be things we need to pursue, but it's because you're raised now. We are no longer dead. And so we come to this and and he, he reorders our ambitions As we read on in that section, we see that he reorders our thought life in in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so he's saying, start to train your mind to think about heavenly things. Here's just a practical step. If every morning you get up and you just think for a few minutes what Christ did for you on the cross and that you have, He is raised from the dead, and you've been raised with Him, and just rehearse that to yourself in the morning, preach the gospel to yourself, it'll start to change your mindset. Because you're speaking truth into your lives, and now you're training your mind to think about heavenly things, to think about what God has done. Think about His work on the cross. Think about the death of your old man, His forgiveness, His resurrection. Think about new life in Christ. That'll change how you think about difficult situations that you face. That'll change how you interact with that person that annoys you to no end. Because we know that our hope isn't here and we're made alive to something different. In verse 4 there, when Christ who is your life appears, you also then you also will appear with Him in glory. Jesus assures us of a fantastic future. This is all part of the worldview that He is placing on us. And he's changing us. Because he says, yes, I'm helping you now, but yes, you will be resurrected physically to a new life. Hey, the hope of a new body gets better and better every day. Because this one's failing. And it's, it's going to be amazing. 
But Christ has raised us now and he will raise us in the future. So then that passage goes on and and there's two sections, 5 through 11 and then 12 through 17. And 5 through 11, it, it really talks about putting to death what has already died with Christ. So how does the resurrection help us with the sin that we face tomorrow, with the temptation that we face tomorrow? Our old man's dead. It's gone. But this side of eternity, we still struggle with sin. And so Paul's going to give us two strategies for dealing with this. The first is putting to death what has already died with Christ. And that's 5 through 11. Put to death, kill off what belongs to your sin-stained, putrid nature. And, and what he's doing here is trying to start getting us to think of sin as death. Getting us to see how awful sin is, how putrid sin is. When we begin to get a realistic view of sin, the desire of it goes down. And we want to get rid of it. It's when we really take sin lightly that we're like, ah, who cares? That we're never serious about putting it to death. And Paul is saying, it's already dead. We died with Christ. Now I can remember one, one Sunday, Don, you'll remember this, coming into the sanctuary here and coming up to the platform. I wasn't a pastor then, I was leading worship. And coming up to the platform, and it reeked on the platform. Remember that? And, and we're like, something is dead, which is great motivation to worship. <laughs> yeah. It just was hard to worship. And, and we discovered that an animal had crawled under the, the, the stage here in one of the outside vents, gotten trapped, and, and died. It did not rise from the dead. <laughs> the thing about animals, when they die and you don't retrieve their carcass... They stink because it's rotting. It's, it's decaying. It was gross. And, and for like four or five weeks, we endured this because we couldn't get to it. And that is the picture that Paul is going to use of the sin that we hold on to. It's already dead. It's already decaying. It's putrefying. That should be part of the motivation for getting rid of it. And so in verse 5, Chapter 3 there, we read, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And this is all still out of verse 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, since this is true, you're with Christ, put to death what is earthly in you. Kill these things off. Eradicate them. When something is put to death, it has no power over you, no control over you. And, and, And he starts and he gives us a list of things that we're to put to death. And we'll go through the list. I know our kids are with us, so we won't get real specific on some of the items. But these are real-life items that he says are already dead, so put to death. And he starts by saying, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he begins to deal with purity and impurity, and these five things all relate to that. And he says, We need to put them to death. The act of sexual immorality needs to be put to death because it's already dead. Impurity, where you start to let your thoughts go that direction. Passions, where it becomes a craving and something we we have to have. Evil desires, which then fulfills whatever desires my heart wants. And I can do anything because I don't care about anyone else. And covetousness, which in this context says, when those desires become so strong that they become my idol. 
I have to have them. I will sacrifice whoever. I will sacrifice my family. I will sacrifice my purity, my integrity to get my idol and to get what I want. And Paul says, you, you want victory over these things? Start to realize they're dead and stinking and get them out of your life. Because when we abhor them, then we can see God have victory over them and allow him to remove them from our lives. You know, it's, it's some of you listen to John Stone Street and he talks about abortion a lot. And he says his goal isn't to make abortion illegal, it's to make it unthinkable. And that's a whole different way to, to think of it as abhorrent. Paul's doing the same thing with impurity, with sin in our lives and saying, it is nailed to the top of the cross above Jesus, which means Jesus paid for it. It's done. Do we really want to take it back? Do we really want to take back what Christ has paid for? And then he goes on in that passage, if you, if you read on, says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Speaking of, the, there is penalty for these if these aren't dealt with. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. And the implication there is now you're dead to them. Then he gets to attitudes about people. And he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger. When people annoy us and we just can't stand them anymore. Wrath, which is more of a hot anger where we just burst out and lash out at people. Malice, which I call more of a cold anger. It's where we're just stewing about somebody. Have anyone like that? When we know we've gone to malice when we start criticizing everything they do. Nothing they do is, is good enough. And our attitude toward them is, is the sin-stained attitude and so then we go to slander and we start saying things because, hey, it's true, but it isn't. Obscene talk. And that goes to our speech. And what's interesting is issues with, with each other affects all of our speech. It affects all of our lives. And Paul is just giving this list. And yeah, we could go in detail of this list. He's giving a picture of what the old man looks like, Right? And, and so if you struggle with any of these things, these are part of the old man. And then finally, he says, and then we start believing lies. We start saying lies to one another. So he says, do not lie to one another. He goes on, seeing that you have put off the old self and his practices. We're dead to it. You've put on the new self. You've been changed. You've been made alive, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. And then he listens one more. He lists one more. That of prejudice. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This first half, Paul says, let's get rid of the stinking decay in our lives. You're made alive. Why are you you living with it? Why let the animal die under the stage and stay there? Why let these sins fester? Begin to realize they're gone and paid for And we can have victory over them. But I am so glad that's not where he ends. Because letter B there is put on your new life. You have been made alive. Put on your new life. You have been made alive. And Paul then goes to this whole other side of of a walk with God. And I'm going to walk over here for this one. And he describes what a made alive life looks like. What it means to be raised with Christ. And what's interesting is all of the things he's going to mention are interpersonal. All of these deal with how we treat each other. And the idea is, if we're raised with Christ to new life, what did Christ do then? 
He gives us life. He's a life-bringing spirit, the Bible says. And so we, if we're raised with Christ, we should be people that bring life to everyone around us, bring joy to everyone around us. And so all of these things are going to deal with, okay, if we're really alive in Christ, it should show in how we treat other people. It should show in our actions and our love and our care and our speech. You know, the, the old saying is some people light up a room when they enter and some people light up a room when they leave. The argument here is let's be the people that light up a room when we enter because we're life-bringing spirits. We're copying Christ. We're raised with Him. And so in verse 11 there, 12 rather, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and put on as like putting on a coat, putting on new clothes. You're made new, so, so put on the things that represent that. And he starts to list these things. He says, Put on compassionate hearts feeling deeply for people, down to, the, to our gut, to understanding people, to caring for people. And then he says, be people of kindness, people that act for the goodwill of others, whether they deserve it or not. We act for their good. Then he says, humility, to put on humility, not considering ourselves better than other people. And humility is a status before God but it's a way of viewing other people. Jesus is our ultimate example, right? Who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And so if we're to copy Christ, if we're with Christ, then we need to be humble and have that sense of humility. Meekness. And this is gentleness under control, almost like a bridled horse. One author said it's like you could lash out at somebody, but you choose not to, and you choose to love them. That's the idea of gentleness. Patience, willing to endure wrongs, willing to overlook an offense, not being frustrated and exasperated with people, even if they're the most frustrating and exasperating people you know. So how do we do these things? And Paul then breaks it down and summarizes it with just a couple of actions. The next thing he says is bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. So we have bearing with one another. And this idea of going on and ignoring it letting go of the attitude that wells up inside of us. We can have personality conflicts. We can have different ways of doing things. We can come to church and be like, oh, they are so, and then blank, fill in the blank. Bearing with one another says, I don't care. They're a brother or sister in Christ. They are made alive too. They are new in Christ too. So I'm going to overlook a whole bunch of stuff. Forgiving. And the text says, as Christ forgave you as He gave everything and put our sin over His head on the cross, we're to forgive others. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Release the forgiveness is releasing that issue to God. And then He lists a couple of other things. And above all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. A love for each other 
is part of being raised with Christ. Because the whole reason Jesus did this is because he loved us. And if we don't love others, if we can't bring ourselves to love each other, then we're, we're mocking the very reason Jesus did this and we aren't with him in it. If we're with him, we will copy that love. We will emulate that love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. He goes on then in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And part of this raised life is to love the word, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We can just keep putting these up, right? The list goes on. Teach and admonish. with Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A raised life is one of worship. I know the lists are long. There's all kinds of things in the list that we can do. But what we're seeing in God's Word is that that God is saying, you were with Christ on the cross. And all these things are done. They're gone. Today, you may have some of those things that you struggle with. That your prayer today needs to be, Lord, help me to, to think of this as putrid as you think of this. As, as disgusting and gross. Help me to realize then that you've paid for it and you've made me a different person. You may look at this list and say, man, I really struggle with blank, with X. And maybe our prayer there is that God help me to see myself as, as raised with you now, as resurrected now. See, every one of us that believes in Christ, we've died and we've been raised. We could write a book about it and make millions. But we've died and we've been raised and that should change our lives. Lord God, you took our sins on the cross because you loved us and you bore the price for everything I have done and everything I will do, a price I couldn't pay. Lord, I couldn't pay and see heaven and I'd still be paying for all eternity. But Lord, thank you that you died for me and that I can die with you, that old man. Thank you for resurrection and new life and that I am already raised with you. I am already resurrected and made new and made alive. And Lord, help us as we remember what you've done to remember it tomorrow, remember it Tuesday and Wednesday and that our life would show that we are made alive people and there is something radically different about us than the rest of this world. Thank you for your sacrifice and what you've done, God. In your name, amen.